Now, you all know this is going to be hard on me and hard on you too. <clears throat> hard on me because I'm so full. And hard on you because you are too. <laughs> and don't go to sleep on me, all right? But you, if you've been listening to me this week, how many of you know I'm not long? I mean, I'm short and, I'm, and my sermons are short also. And I'm going to speak in just a little bit in, from Romans chapter 15 about another old man who said, Lord, here I am. I'm still willing to go. And I'll get to that in just a moment, Romans chapter 15, if you want to find your place. But before I do that, here's my story. <clears throat> I mentioned one of the services about going to Papua New Guinea. I've been to Fiji. In Fiji, we gave out 230,000 whole Bibles. But we can have them printed in Belarus on former communist printing presses. Whole King James Bibles, maps in the back, study notes, not glued, but stitched Bibles. Amen. A glued Bible in the tropics lasts about a month, maybe. These are beautiful Bibles made specially for Fiji and then later Papua New Guinea. And I've, I've been able to be part of that. I just, I can't even describe it. To go out to a school and they give us an hour to go to Hindu school, Muslim schools, Catholic schools, military schools. When I was doing this, I mentioned in Papua New Guinea, and I mentioned our missionaries who went there back in the 60s and 70s and went through some rough times, and several of them now are in heaven. But what I have in my hand tonight, it's written. It's one of those things that I wish I could have written it, but I couldn't write it because it's not written by a missionary it's written by one of those Papua New Guinea boys that got saved. One of our missionaries, Raymond Sorrells, won him to the Lord when he was a 12-year-old boy. And he wrote this, and I don't read things to you too often, but I'm going to read this tonight. And just understand, English is not his first language, so I'm going to read it just like he wrote it. And there are a few phrases you'll catch that as, we, uh, as I go. But the title of it is just one page, so don't worry about being here all night. This one page, I want you to hear this. Missionaries, who are they? A little 12-year-old boy gave a description of missionaries like this when he was asked. They're God's special agents on a special mission. How true it is. Their mission is called Mission Rescue the Perishing. Leaving the fort, they prepare to enter enemy lines all over the world. Given their location and strategy, they move without much logistical support. To live or to die is just the same for them. They're equipped with the art of old-fashioned technology. In their hands is the world's most powerful weapon that can crash the enemy in the split of a second. In their mouth is a life-saving message that can save the hopeless, the homeless, the baseless, and the lifeless. Putting hope giving you home, setting base on the solid rock, and giving abundant life to mankind, wiping tears of sadness and loneliness and putting joy in their hearts and smiles on their faces. Their feet are called beautiful with blisters and cuts. Their hands have a special touch from heaven. Missionaries put their bodies and families on the line, climbing the highest mountain, walking the deepest 
river, crossing crocodile-infested swamps, driving on rugged roads unfit for motor vehicles that can shake and twist and rock you. And I say amen to that. I was on those roads. They fly over breathtaking mountains that make you nervous. Missionaries live on faith and live in isolation. On many occasions, they've been attacked, robbed, beaten, punched. But as the saying goes, they keep on and serve their master. They adapt to the weather. They speak the lingo. They eat the local menu. Time and time again, they face struggles and hardships and pressures and perils of life. Their poor children are born and bred on foreign land with a mixture of American and Melanesian custom. What a place to adapt into two cultures. They live up to their motto, they are no fools to give what they cannot keep, to gain what they cannot lose. Missionaries are special indeed because of their special mission on frontline duties to rescue people from the enemy. We salute you all because you are our heroes. Your coming was our freedom and hope. You brought light to our darkness. You set the path for our feet. You wiped our tears of pain and you relieved our broken hearts. Your labor and dedication of love is not in vain, but will be honored by our chief in command. We appreciate you all for coming to our land, the land of color and culture, or the land of the unexpected, and the land of a million journeys. Papua New Guinea. You want, you want to know what a national believer thinks about you all helping missionaries get to the field? I think that says it about as well as it could be said. Well, in Romans chapter 15, by the way, I, I won't do it tonight, but I think that I could prove to you that the book of Romans, how many of you love the book of Romans? Oh man, is it good. I think I could prove to you that the book of Romans is a missionary prayer letter. Because we're going to see that tonight as we look at this 15th chapter toward the end of it. It's a great book. Chapter 1 is really a chapter about their great commission. And it tells, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Chapter, the latter part of chapter 1 shows us that everyone is lost in sin and without God, we're destined for an eternal, eternity in hell. Then we come to that great doctrinal portion of the, the book chapters uh, Chapter 2 through 11, chapters 12 through 14, principles of faith and church order. But chapter 15 gives us the rationale for sending missionaries. Why do you do as a church? By the way, that's the only place missionaries are sent from is a local church. B-I-M-I or Macedonia World Baptist Mission or worldwide, no mission agency sends missionaries. They're sent out of local churches. Now, we help them any way we can. How do you get a visa? Where do you go to language school? How do you adapt to this? And how do you get your money changed? And all those things that we who've been out there know how to do some of those things. But they're sent out of local churches. And verses 8 through the end of this chapter, I think, gives Paul's main reason for writing. Now, thank God he wrote this letter 
Because without it, we wouldn't have Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. We wouldn't have Romans 8, 28. We wouldn't have so many great verses that we use all the time. So let me just begin reading if you follow along with me. In chapter 15 of Romans, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a member of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now notice, I preached on it this morning. God wants Jewish people to be saved. God wants Gentiles to be saved. So that's what he's writing about. And he said, as it is written, again in verse 9, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. That is a direct quotation from Psalm chapter 18, verse number 49. And again he said, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. That's a quotation from the book of Deuteronomy. Whoever would think about the book of Deuteronomy being a missions book? But Paul's quoting it. The Gentiles for his praise. And again in verse 11, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. That's another quote. That's from Psalm 117 in verse 1. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. Now listen, that's about as clear a passage on missions, showing that missions did not start with Mark 16, 15, or Matthew 28, or Acts 1, 8. Missions started in the heart of God in the beginning. And Paul quoted every part of the Old Testament. He quoted the law. He quoted the writings. He quoted the prophets proving that God wants people to be saved. Verse number 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing and that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, Skip down to verse 15, if you would, with me. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Let me just part right there. The only way that any of us will ever be used of God to reach people is if we become a minister. Amen. And that doesn't mean necessarily the pastor. That means a servant. If we, if we want to skip that and go on, I want to be the senior pastor or I want to be the whatever, the boss, that's not the way it works. For God to use us, we must be willing to say, Lord, you're God. You're my Savior. I am your servant. But then Paul continues to, to write. In verse number 20, he said, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, that I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Drop down, if you will, verse number 24. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. If first I be somewhat filled with your company. Now let me just part there for a second again too. To be brought forward on their journey is almost a technical term in the New Testament. It's used eight times to bring them forward. I love the way in 3 John, John writing to Gaius said, 
bring them forward on their journey after a godly sort. So what does it mean when God is saying, Paul's writing to this local church, when Paul says, I'm coming to see you. And God's put a burden on my heart to go to some place where nobody's been. I'm going to go to Spain. That was the, further, the farthest outpost of that time. I'm an old man now, but God's burdened me to go there. And I'm going to come see you because I expect you to bring me forward on my journey. So what does it mean? Think with me a moment. Well, it certainly means to pray and help and to support. But can I suggest that it might mean more than that? I think it means that anything that we can do to help them get where they're going is bringing them forward on their journey. What does the, what does the missionary wife do on Monday morning after the conference ends? Let me tell you, they often have to find a laundromat. <laughs> They're saying amen. <laughs> Do you think that bringing them forward on their journey might mean while they're in the conference, God would put it on the heart of some dear lady and say, ma'am, could you, would you like to come over to my house and use my washer and dryer? Well, brother God, we never heard anything. I'm just saying the Bible uses that all the time, bringing them forward on their journey. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, and others, uh, they would go out and they would go to a church and that church would, actually if you go to the Philippines and you're leaving, the people will follow you all the way out of the church to your car or to the train station or wherever you're going. They're bringing you forward on their journey. Do you think it might mean for some of you guys who are mechanically inclined that when the missionaries are driving in and they're just starting, now he flew, but he's just starting deputation. I don't know what his car looks like, but can you imagine a, brand, a missionary just starting out? They don't have any, they have no income. I mean, when they just start deputation, they just have to trust God. And someone said, it comes to that. Yes, they trust God. But do you think it might mean that you could walk around the car and look at the tires? Honestly, folk, over my years, I've, I've done that and seen still sticking out of the sidewalls. Do you think it would be bringing them forward on their journey if God laid it on your heart to take them out and buy them a tire? Or actually go ahead and get two if you're going to do that. <laughs> Talking about the, the washing the clothes. I was preaching some time back down in Georgia somewhere and there was a family there, missionary family. They were going to Mexico and they had 12 children. And I, got, I have this, you all know it, I have this mischievous side in me that gets me in trouble sometimes. But I said that night, I said, you know the man with 12 kids, he's more content than the man with $12 million. Because the man with $12 million, he wants some more. <laughs> now the guy with 12 kids, he didn't want any more. That missionary ruined my joke. He raised his hand right in the service. He said, Brother Godfrey, we're expecting number 13. <laughs> you know what his wife does on Monday morning? You know what his wife does on Tuesday morning? You know what his wife does on Wednesday? And I'm having a little fun. Paul, when he wrote this, was not, he was no longer a young man. 
And when you get older and it's just, it would be really easy to say, well, it's time to let all the young guys do it and I'm just going to, that's not Paul. Paul said, over there in Spain, that's a part of the world over there. Nobody's been there yet. They need to hear the gospel. And he's writing to these people. And Paul believed there were too many people who've never heard. People doomed to die without hearing and spend eternity apart from God. And he believed that the whole Bible was the authority for a church sending missionaries around the world. He quoted the law. He quoted the writings two times from the book of Psalms. He quoted the prophets. And he showed clearly that God wants people to be saved. How many of you believe that? I know you do. I believe that. You believe that. And Paul understood that for him to do that, he needed help. He wanted to evangelize Spain. That was the furthest outpost. See, Paul, Paul was a great pioneer spirit who longed to reach out beyond where other people had gone into unoccupied area to invade new territory with the gospel of Christ. I'm going to make two statements. There are a few like that today. You have some of them with you right now. You have young missionaries here who could easily stay in America, make lots of money, rear their kids and their grandkids, but they've heard about some place where there's a great need. They've heard about an island where people need to hear the gospel desperately. Heard about a country that's living in poverty, not only physical poverty, but spiritual poverty. And we, there are a few like that today who said, Lord, I'll go. We have a family that not long ago, they, they raised their support and they went to Uganda. They're there. Both of them are Navajo Indians. They have three little daughters. And they've been in a lot of meetings with me. And those little girls would get up and they would sing, Jesus loves me in English and in Navajo <laughs> and in Re and Kori, one of the languages from Uganda. And they raised support everywhere they went. They are, there are a few people today who, are, who will say, Lord, hey, Lord, I'm here. I'll go if you want me to go. Lord, I'd love to go to some place where they need desperately to hear. There are a few like that today. But my second statement is this. There are very few. And that brings me to my question. Where are the great hearts? Where are the pioneers? Where are the brave? Where are the willing? Young people say sometimes to me, well, I'd go to that country. I, I will come if you build the roads. And the truth is, no, they won't. If you're expecting everything to be done for you and the road smoothed out and no problems and how am I going to live over there and what am I going to do? You know what the missionaries are telling me? I hate to even tell you this. Many missionaries on the field today as I go out, Linda and I spend time with them, here's what they're saying to me. Please, Brother Godfrey, don't send us any more snowflakes. 
Where are those people? Can I say to you, there are people. Every year we were talking today about Beyond My Missionaries, and we kind of hold our own number-wise. Last year we had 18 of our older missionaries graduate to heaven. We've had three already this year. Dear for every one of them, dear friends to me. How many of you older folk know what it, you know, you're standing back and watching your friends move to the other side one by one. So we have a lot of older missionaries and they're getting old and they're going to heaven or they're retiring. And thank God we have fine, sharp, young missionary families coming in, ready to go. But we need a whole host more. When I'm out on the field with the missionaries, two, two things. Sometimes it's, it's a bunch of older missionaries and they're saying, Brother Godfrey, go back to America and tell them we got to have help. We've been out here for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, some of them, and we, we don't want to leave here, but we won't. Which, can you go back and tell some young people, please consider God's call upon your life. Then I go out to places like Japan. And you can go up where Paul and Sarah are at up on the northern end of Japan or you can go to other places. And, and all the time they're telling me, Brother God, there's a city not far from here that's got 500,000 people in it and there's not a church that preaches the Bible. In all of Japan, less than 1% of the entire population of Japan are Christians if you include every kind of Christian you can think of. That means when you're walking down the street in Japan, you've got to realize that 99 people out of every 100 you meet are headed straight to hell. And Paul wrote a prayer letter. He had a worldwide vision. He was consumed with passion to reach every man and woman, boy and girl. And he had a strong, listen, Paul had a strong expectation to have help and fellowship and support from other believers to get the job done. And he wrote this letter to this church at Rome saying, I'm going to come and see you. <laughs> and he wanted them to approve of the mission God had, burden God had put upon his heart. Let me just add a little thing right here. When missionaries, I've been talking with them already about this. When missionaries come to your church in a conference like this, they are not only looking for your support. Financially, I'm talking about. That's part of it. Deputation, missions conferences, missionaries coming to your church is not simply with the goal of getting support so they can go. They're coming to your church so that they can partner with your church. So they can love you and you can love them and you get their letters and you keep up with them. You know what they're doing and Paul wrote to Rome and uh, I think this is the first bit of successful foreign mission propaganda, whatever you want to call it. He said, I'm, I'm going to come and see you because I need your help. I need you to bring me forward on my way uh, and I've already talked about that. I remember my early days starting out uh, it was a different world. When I started deputation, no one ever heard of a GPS. How many of you ever tried to read a map driving through the streets of Chicago on your steering wheel? 
And then you came to the time you could print, them, print off the directions on MapQuest. <laughs> but I remember starting out, and I was a little country boy from South Carolina, and God opened my, the first doors for me to go to churches and present my burden happened to be on the south side of Chicago. Just think about that. Why? I don't. It was only God. But I think about those churches that at Jordan Baptist Church, Pastor F.R. Bingham was pastor there for many years. And I think about going there and the preaching. And those I fell in love with that church and they fell in love with us. And I'd been on the field for many, many years and came back one furlough. And I'm in that church and a little lady came up to me and she said, Brother Godfrey, can I tell you something? And I said, well, sure, Mrs. Pfizer. And she said, uh, I never told you this before, but the first time you ever preached in our church, I promised God that I would pray for you every day. <laughs> and she said, I never told you before, but I have kept my promise. But you know what I did? <laughs> Brother Beeman, I couldn't even say thank you. I stood there and blubbered like a little baby. See, I'm just saying to you, thank God for your support financially. We desperately need that, but it's more than that. Amen. It's partnering together. And Paul understood that. Uh, Rome was the capital city of the world. A Rome conquered for Christ could mean a world conquered by Christ. And Paul was going to see them so that they would become familiar with his name and his ministry and his burden and his love for people. You see, I read that and I thought, boy, that sure sounds a lot like deputation to me. <laughs> well, it is. That's what deputation is. When you all as a local church are deputizing these missionaries, you can't go to Spain. Maybe some of you can, okay? I won't have anybody particular in mind, but maybe some in here. I shouldn't have said that. But uh, I don't know where it's at tonight. But God may be putting a burden on your heart right now. It takes, watch it, it takes the preacher, the missionary, but it takes the senders. Anything we can do to help get them to where God's called them is God's wonderful plan. Don't ever feel sorry for missionaries who have to do deputation. I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I personally feel like deputation is one of the best training times in the life of any missionary. Just because they say, Lord, here I am, I'm ready. I'm willing. It doesn't mean they're ready yet. And deputation has a way of maturing and growing and expanding their faith. By the way, people, do you understand? They see people saved now where they go. They get to witness people all over the country. They get to see other young people have their hearts stirred. And they go. And Paul said, folk, I'm not a young man anymore, but God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to Spain. I can't prove it. Not everybody would agree with me. But I think Paul went to Spain. So Brother God, do you think he'd had a fourth missionary journey? He probably did. 
When Paul had a burden like that, I don't think you could stop him. Amen. And he said to those folk, hey, I'm coming. <laughs> Will you help me get there? And Father, I pray for this church as they consider